When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Really, no thank you. I mean, one of the fun things about this is... um, uh, uh, we we stalk people whose work we enjoy and make them come talk to us about movies. And one of the unintended ironies of the COVID situation is that um, we've had access to so many more people, mm-hmm. more, more diverse people than we ever would if we could try to lure them to our studio in Burbank. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's that too. And then um, and then we finally uh, uh, <laughs> the the great the great terror of this because we call people a lot of times it's people we know or what have you. Um, uh, but then there's folks we reach out to through other means, or a lot of times we're dealing with intermediaries and, uh, my, my great nightmare, the, um, you know, going to high school naked or uh, <laughs> getting to class. And there's a final you haven't studied for has always been that we get the guest who didn't get the email. Oh yeah. Have we already started? Oh yeah. Oh, no, we always, oh, yeah we're, we're hoping you'll say something terrible about somebody who's on your show. We can use against you later. <laughs> Bad oh, no. mouth your father yeah. or something. It's, <laughs> It's it's a kick having you. I I don't. We've had some some um, what do you say dual guests before, but uh, we never had. You guys are like a writing team and, and directing team as well, correct? Yes. Yeah. And uh, uh, co-creators of the show Search Party, which um, I just I love to death. I gotta say I've been TV. The I watched the first two seasons as they as they landed. Um, and it, it is such a thrill now to be able to uh, watch everything all in one. I'm, I'm ruined. <laughs> the, the new seasons all, all came to us in one fell swoop. Yeah. Did, um, did you guys have any uh, difficulties with the DGA about being a, a directing team? Oh, oh boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. We've been talking about it. Dare, dare we talk about it? On <laughs> no, it's you so can. scary. It's, 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 you know, there, there have been very few people, uh, as you may have obviously noticed, mm-hmm. uh, that have been allowed to do this over the years. And um, a lot of people who ask for it just get turned down. Yeah. Uh, and um, it helps. Cohen see. brothers don't even have it. Yeah. It's quite a pro- I know. We, we beat the Cohens. Uh, oh, I thought, didn't, they, didn't they start getting it in their last couple of films? Oh, I have no idea. Um, I, think, I think they have. Mm. Um, it just took a while. Yeah, it's quite a process. You have to write an essay. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it's funny. It's like we we kept being prepped that it was going to be a lot of pressure. And we were like, well, what could it be? Like, I don't yeah. know. And then like they gave us a call that was like, you're going to be sitting at a table. And it was like, okay, thank you for that call. And it was like, a table? Like, what are you? Okay. <laughs> and, then, and then we got there. and like we were 
kept in the room, like a library adjacent to like the room that they have the like the hearing in about if you're if you're you know where you have to kind of like testify about if you're you should deserve this. This library um, a, a was DJ also like was also like a very narrow, tall library. Like it was it was very, very haunted, haunted mansion. Like it was like the walls would extend vertically. It was, in the, it was in the DGA building. It didn't look like it was because that building is very modern looking, but inside this library was like very narrow and tall. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't remember what the books in the library were, but they were very old and gothic. It's the medieval part of the and, DGA. Yeah, the medieval part of the DGA building. And they were all in Latin. They were all in Latin. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you don't want to read what's inside or else the boogeyman comes. Um, and and I remember also the the receptionist was like really whispering. She was like, they're not and I was like, oh, okay. Well, it is um, a library after all. I know. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was very eyes wide shut. And then we were led into this room where it was like a Dr. Strangelove war room, you know, circular table, UN style. Everybody had microphones, like individual microphones and um, little packets of folders with our names on it. And then there were like 200 people as audience like seated watching us and ever they open these big doors and everyone's just like smiling like and silent <laughs> it's like it's dead a, quiet it's a dead quiet silent room un mics and like you know the history of our entire lives in these packets <laughs> and it was int- it was so intense it was like one of the it was one of the most intense experiences i've ever had in a way that wasn't like you know life-threatening <laughs> and then there was also like there would be there was it was like they were like you know there might be some people you'll recognize and it was just like oh okay so there's gary marshall uh, there's john favreau and i recognize this person i'm not quite sure who that is but i know i recognize them <laughs> john favreau was the nicest to us i'll say that he was very nice Gary Marshall was also, I felt warm. Gary Marshall Marshall. was funny. He gave us sass, but it was kind of like an honor to be sassed. And and what was the outcome? Oh, we We got got it. it. We we, we found it at like midnight. We really (laughs) weren't sure. Like uh, we were confident. We were really confident going in, but then like afterwards we were like, I don't know if we're going to get it. (laughs) Yeah. We we were asked to like uh, walk through a conflict we've had. Um, and, you know, we were trying to give like sort of like political, we were giving answers that weren't untrue, but they were like, you know, we actually find that we, we get along because we're involved at every step of the process. So there's no surprises on set. And then it was like, no, but walk us through a conflict. <laughs> it was like, oh. Like, oh it's okay. a prerequisite that you have to get along in order to direct the other. But you so. have to have fought. You yeah, have to like, have had one fight at least, and no, it was resolved us, in an appropriate. But that's kind of like couples therapy. I mean, tell if us you're what in a you couple, really don't like about each other. Yeah. Tell us. <laughs> like any couple that doesn't fight, that's not a good marriage. That's not a I good sign. Directing <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. That's true. But wow, that's that's amazing. Um, I still, you know, my uh, my uh, my disposition. I tend to side with my tribe. Uh, which is screenwriters and you know mm-hmm. it's like it's a collaborative art form it's like we know this we sit alone in a room we come up with everything that everybody after we're done is going to do and mm-hmm. it's not collaborating take credit for <laughs> sitting but, in a room alone but we're about to hand it off to people yeah, like but when you, you're Jonas, on the set you've got all these gonna, people all these people annoying you and saying well do, what do you want you want to do this How about, what color should exactly. this be and then it becomes a collaboration <laughs> so that it's so weird to me that the writers guild is perfectly fine with 48 people taking a whack 
at the script, but the DGA is the one that, that, that you know, shuns collaboration. Yeah, that is funny. It's interesting. I think a part of that is that screenwriters, the, the ego bruising for writers, it's like people are just used to being like ghost writers, like, you know, invisible and directors. There's that kind of like, you, you're kind of cast in terms of like the ego, you know, like there's like a, a cult of personality. I feel like... Right. I think there's a lot of territorialism about like not um, not being like put into the shadows as a director. So let me translate what, what Charles is saying is that writers have healthy egos and understand there's a lot of abuse and directors are always <laughs> shrinking, shrinking violets. <laughs> I think I think it's all it's, we're on the same page. Um, there's, fla- there's flaws in all in all of the all of the people involved. <laughs> Joe Joe's getting annoyed. Joe's, Joe's very loyal. <laughs> We were, was it? we were ranting about... Uh, I like writers. I have them on the set. I put them in the I, Joe is impossible. great to writers. Yes. Uh, no, I was, I was ranting about Christopher Nolan the other day, and Joe was actually defending him with his... Uh, mm. I want people to die so they can go see my movie, which I thought was a little bit much. But, um, <laughs> Did he say that? <laughs> well, you know, read between the lines. <laughs> Effectively. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway... Um, uh, I don't know. Is there any way we can bag on directors for another minute before we get? Uh, well, I would uh, like to say <laughs> that um, Piranha was revolutionary to me as a child. <laughs> truly, <laughs> I'm like so excited. Your parents to... should be ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> I was a big horror horror movie kid. I love. Did it. you ever see the original? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm six years old. <laughs> no, mine only. Mine only had breasts being eaten. The, the, the remake has te- penises being eaten. So that's I, that right. Was, oh was, yeah, it has that. Um, uh, yes, I saw it uh, in 3D. Yeah, that was a, that was a remarkable shot. Uh, <laughs> first, first one's still better, I would say. Um, but uh, anyway, guys, thank you. thank you for having us. I should. We we've got uh, uh, Charles uh, Rogers and Sarah Violet Bliss, who are co-creators of Search Party which is um, one of those shows that I absolutely love and am proselytizing for all the time. And I almost, we're not going to talk about your work. Don't worry. That's not what we do. We don't care. But, <laughs> but for one minute, because I was trying to like, it's such a hard show to accurately describe in, you know, uh, I, can, I can do CSI in five seconds. I can, <laughs> I can do a lot of things. <laughs> But Search Party, in that it's not what it appears to be at all, and that every season you sort of forget things about the character that you're reminded of uh, by the end each time without giving anything away. I mean, how, how do you, you're at a party, one of those things where someone has no idea who you are, and they're going, why? There's so much stuff. I tell you, why, why, what is this show? How do you describe it to people? It's hmm. a good question because it also, it's like the first season is something different than the, the following season. So I'm always like, Okay, well, I have to assume you haven't seen anything. So it's like a satire about a girl who, um, a friend from college goes missing. And so she, uh, it's a comedy mystery about her trying to find her. And then I'll just leave it at that, I guess. And then, I don't know, you've got to figure it out for yourself. Right. <laughs> then if, you, if you're interested in that, then go, go forth and, and try to, find that and I hope you fight like it and think it's funny enough to keep watching. <laughs> but I would also argue that, that what you have working against you and as somebody who loves genre, I'm like, I'm in by that description, but it's also, if you're somebody who's for whom the idea of a show about a bunch of, a bunch of uh, people looking for their missing friend mm-hmm. sounds 
like not up your alley. Don't worry. It's not that either. It's yeah. Not, right. it's, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like it's a hard. genre bending. I don't know. <laughs> I, I find myself explaining it <laughs> to people that I'm like, I don't know if you'd even like, you know, just like random people. It's just like, if you're like not going to like it anyway. Like it's not. <laughs> so like, I'm just like, it's, it's about like a group of friends who search for like a missing friend, but it's, it's kind of funny and dark. Like whenever yeah. I'm talking like people that I'm like, you're not going to watch it anyway. So. Just, so yeah, just trust me. It's great. Just, it's a, <laughs> it's a fan, fantastic show. And you guys, um, we sort of threw you a difficult task. It was kind of like, Pick, pick some each and we'll sort of bounce back and forth. And you guys have been working together for a while. You've mm-hmm. been known each other for longer, I assume. I can't imagine you yeah. met on the set of the first film you directed together. <laughs> yeah, we went to film school. We went to graduate NYU, like grad film school together. And then we made a feature film together. That was our, that was just a, an immediate partnership in making that feature film. <laughs> yeah. Got it. And um, I was going to ask if you sort of bonded over your similarities or your differences, but I guess, I guess in discussing the films that uh, have inspired you, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll happen organically. Mm-hmm. It will happen organically. Um, <laughs> and uh, I am sorry. To I, don't find f- I don't want to force a single <laughs> moment. Okay. <laughs> this, be- this better happen naturally. Maybe they'll fight on screen. No, let's, yeah, let's hope. Let's see if we can get them to. Uh, I don't know if they've seen each other's list. Um, I don't know who wants to go first. I feel like uh, I should flip a coin or somebody's. Oh Are we gonna each go like all? Well, the no, you're gonna you're gonna. You know, you should bounce back and forth. Okay. Start start with one. We'll talk about that. The other one can chime in. Start yelling at you. We'll make fun of you. Really, he really does stoke conflict, doesn't he? <laughs> I'm fine. They said they never argue. You're making us. You're the. Are you the DGA? <laughs> this is the last stage. <laughs> um, uh, mm. we, let's go, go with Jurassic Park because I feel like we share that. Yeah. Ah. Okay. True. Yes. We, and, and you guys are definitely of a generation. You saw this when you were very young. Oh my God! It's yeah. my favorite movie, technically. Really. In terms of having seen it more than any other movie in the world. <laughs> I, I feel like I knew not to put that on my list because I feel like it's more Charles's than it is mine. And I knew he would put it on his. <laughs> and I was like, I don't have to. There's plenty of Jurassic Park for everyone. Everyone can, everyone can have it on their list. That's how they big... make one every couple of years. So there's always <laughs> right. another one coming. I know. They're not like I the mean, first. They don't. I have no idea how many there are at this point. The um, um five. There's that's all. I feel like there's so many. The more. sixth. They're they're shooting the sixth um right now. Intermittently. Um, also, yeah. <laughs> Inter- Char- between deaths, COVID. Like deaths. Charles <laughs> no, A, for example, knows how many Jurassic Parks there are. Mm, I've right. I've only really seen the first one. I I know I've seen the second one, but I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> Second, I actually want to talk about the second one for, for a second, but we'll get to that. <laughs> I'm also, before you get into this, because it's so interesting to me, because it's like the idea. So you probably saw Jaws on video, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Just so, I, I just come from a world where everyone is sort of, you know, that's, that's the film we saw first. And it just, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, well, I did see Jaws before Jurassic Park. I was I was a huge Jaws head. That's how that was my gateway drug into Piranha. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> let's still, see still what this would look like if it had no money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little a smaller fish. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but they worked. Um, 
Now, were you, uh, well, so, so Charles, it's your film. I want to ask both of you this. Did, did you see it? You saw it in theaters when it came out. Yes. Mm -hmm. Both of you, okay. And what, was it just, was it instantaneous for you? Was it? Yeah, but I was like counting down the days. I remember, because I was like, I was six when it came out. And I remember walking past the, uh, they had like the really cool 3D pop-up posters that used to happen in movie theaters and it was like the gate the Jurassic Park gate was in front and the car was going into it it was very neat yeah. and like layered and I remember just being like seeing a t-rex skeleton on the logo and being like what is that <laughs> like, <laughs> like no one told me about this what is that <laughs> and um and then I saw it a few times in theaters. Yeah. So you had not read the book. I'm, yes, I'm kidding. Um, and yeah. Sarah Bile, you, you too saw it in, in theaters. I did see it in theaters. I don't, I don't like viscerally recall the day or the lead up. Um, but I definitely remember like I lived in New York and I remember being on the subway and like hearing the rumbles of the train and being like, a T-Rex is coming. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> it's a T-Rex. Uh, uh, I, if you were six, that would have make me, that would make me nine. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I, I don't, it's like one of those movies that it was just so good that even at nine, just knowing that it was, um, like masterfully crafted in such a way that sticks with you forever. Um, and like I returned to it. I once or twice a year ever since i don't like i don't know how many times i've watched jurassic park mm -hmm. but i i i'm like feels like a jurassic park day I'll watch it <laughs> um uh but yeah I, I, I love 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 that film and did the did the kids in the film did they sort of lure you in more their presence was that a, was that an attractive i think it was you think that was yeah i think that definitely helped as a as a kid to have them them in it but right. and then as an adult i don't know if that if that if i don't know what it would have been as an experience as an adult had it been my first experience but like the as an adult now it's like there there's there's a Laura Dern perspective as well now and then there's just so much you know uh uh Oh God, what's his name? His chest. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Goldblum's chest. <laughs> yeah, I feel it's like the great. kid, the kid aspect of it weirdly isn't like I, I never wanted to be the kids. Like I wanted to be Sam Neill. I wanted to be Jeff Goldblum. I wanted to be Laura Dern. Like I didn't feel the the kids, like I think it does kind of help, you know, just in, help kids' imaginations access the point of view into the whole world. Right. But it was kind of, it's not like ET or something. It's a different yeah yeah and and also like it's so i think the thing that's so the dna of that movie like the imagination that you can feel behind the movie between like spiel and the production design everything about it is just so full that like in some ways the script is like a little bit underwritten with the characters like you could have <laughs> you could have like a little bit more specificity with everyone but the direction and like the channeling of the whole movie is so archetypal that it feels like it feels like biblical there's some like very religious vibe to the movie where like everyone is like representing some aspect of humanity 
and in relationship to nature and it just it just feels like there's like a like a well of like spiritual creative channeling behind it for a studio blockbuster mm-hmm. interesting yeah that's a that's a take i have not heard um uh, it's been a long time since i've seen it too you you're a fan right joe i was on the list you were on the list oh really yeah there was uh it was me. They're all different studios with different people. And Michael Crichton was going to pick who was going to be the director of the Jurassic Park mm. version of his book. And it was uh, me, Tim Burton, Richard Donner. Who else was the other one? I think it's oh, Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there must have been a lot of suspense and, as to how and that was going to and, and, and Michael picked the guy who could build him a theme park. So did you... Right. Did you get to interview or? No, but he called us all on the phone. He, I, I knew Michael before, but uh, the, the, he called us all on the phone and we gave him our pitch and what we thought we would like to do with it and everything. And, That's so interesting. And like, uh, my, my, my pitch to him was, if, I, I know you're going to choose Stephen, but please don't let him, don't let him make a kiddie movie out of it. Mm-hmm. And, and he did in the, in the sense that the Richard Attenborough character, who was a total slime ball in the book, yeah, uh, is you know a lovable play daddy as, right. as Richard tended to play, mm-hmm. uh, and I it, it doesn't hurt the movie, but it's a, it's a it's a much sunnier take on mm-hmm. the whole situation than is actually in the book. I just read the book a couple of years ago um, for the first time, and yeah, that character is a lot more corporate. He's just corporate greed and, yeah. and shittiness, um, which I like. Yeah, and he dies gruesomely. Yeah. But the girl is like an idiot and it's really painful. <laughs> it's like, there's like some women, the women in the book, I'm, it's just like, oh, thank God other people got their hands on that script. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the great uh, Crichton women characters over the I, years. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Looker. Looker. <laughs> God, don't. Please, please don't. He's not, he's joking. Um, an interesting movie. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just remember the the uh, the sequel, which got universally reviled, had mm-hmm. one sequence which I thought was one of the best things Spielberg ever did, just from a kind of mm-hmm. direction standpoint of the uh, when they're hanging over the cliff, mm-hmm. and somebody I don't remember who is like on the they're in that uh, Julian Moore's the the, Julian Moore they're in the vehicle and she's on the on the window the rear window of the bus. And the dinosaur shaking it, and there's a hammer hanging over the window. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is about whether or not the hammer is going to fall on the window and break it, and she'll plunge to her death. And it's some amazing suspense. It's so and, good. Yeah, but the rest of the movie kind of vanishes. In- I actually think it's not as bad as other people. Like I think other people, I think that there's definitely some. There's a lot of to the sequel that's like obligate. Like the justification for everyone getting to the park is so stupid. It's like. It's like your girlfriend's there. He's like, my girlfriend's there. It's like, what? No, 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 no. <laughs> and uh, but then once you get into it, you can feel that kind of like Spielberg golden aura in it that I think is is uh, carries carries a lot of moments actually. Right. Um. So Sarah Violet, what's your? Uh, what are you going to start with? What do I start with? Um. I'll start with. Uh, waiting for Guffman, I guess, because that's another. Uh, I know I Char- Charles loves love waiting movie. for Guffman. <laughs> um, so like we'll do the the lob the, 
well, I'm going to lob a ball to us both. Um, <laughs> We're starting um, with the shared interests. Yeah, the shared interests. <laughs> uh, and also seeing for the first time in a theater? Or? No, I saw that, um, I guess, I, how was I introduced to that? I think probably from my brother, actually. Um, and it was such a, like, you know, I didn't know how funny a movie could be um, until I saw this. And like, it was not like anything I had ever seen before. Like, I didn't know that comedy could be like that. Like, you know, I guess I, everything else had been sort of like set up, set up punchline. And this felt so much more, um, special in a way that, you know, you could tell that all these actors really grew to understand each other and these characters that were um, built in this world that they all really cared for. And, uh, you know, it's like they're making fun of the characters in, in a way, but also have this great love for them. and. Um, I admired so much how, how they all worked together. And I was like, this is what I kind of want to build mm. in my life. You know, like I want to build a community of people who like, just get it, you know, quote unquote, like get, get each other and, and are sort of a community and collaboration that, um, then they, you know, went on to make all these other really funny movies that um, uh, just you get a sense of yeah no they're great of it's, them it's, those guys this, are really like smart. this cohesiveness that and trust with each other that sometimes I was just laughing at stuff that I didn't even quite understand what I was laughing at and then I also there was something about it too that I remember I would like use it to to like see if like a new friend got it, you know, right. and if they didn't get it, then I was just like, I don't know if we're going to get each other, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know if you don't get this movie, then I'm not sure we connect in the right way. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> yes. And, uh, and yeah, it was just, it, it just really like, it was one of those movies that really like, lit a fire inside me that that made me kind of understand like made made me realize that this was something more important to me than it was it seemed to be to other people <laughs> right. like filmmaking and um writing and uh uh the art of comedy um so that's that was my I'm wondering from, because obviously there's a lot of different restrictions that you have on, on any show, TV show versus a movie. Um, so you have to be tighter and so forth. But is there, is there room for kind of uh, improvisation and script play on, on Search Party? Or are you guys pretty much as written? Because there's a real great chemistry between all those actors. That yeah. You can't I mean, write. There, there, is, there is like with a little bit and with some actors who that's 
more their thing. Like, and we always want the actors to bring what's best for them to it. And that's works with some actors and not really with others. So it's kind of like you feel what's best for um, the performer. And, um, but the scripts are pretty written and then, you know, whatever is, works best for whoever's there for the day then. But like, we don't do, it's not the way Christopher, like. Oh yeah, no, not at all. That's that's a a very special kind of thing that's going on there. Um, Incredible luxury and privilege, I'm sure. You know, a cast that good at that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the time to kind of play around and find the shape of the movie and improvisations, yeah, just just crazy. Um, you're you, yeah, Joe, you're a fan of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm I'm going through this thing right now. We just talked about. My, I've only just discovered Schitt's Creek, much to my chagrin. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I'm just mm-hmm. fall, falling in love with uh, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara all over They're again. Just so magical. I was um. I think the the way I found Waiting for Guffman is because of SCTV. I was a big, in high school, there was like DVD box sets when I was in high school of SCTV that just came out when I, like at the right time for me. <laughs> and it was a, like a perfect storm. It came out like, like five years ago. Who are these people, Joe? This is insane. <laughs> I'm not as, not as young as you want to be. <laughs> time has passed since... <laughs> that remark was more... I watched those when they were airing for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> but so you came to that through SCTV? Was that kind of... Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, it's just like lightning in a bottle with those people. Yeah. 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 And Catherine O'Hara's like, her ability to play drunk is better than any yeah. act- actress on earth. Like, I think it's like, I don't know, she has an Irish family or something that just really nails it. Yeah, plastic surgery face. <laughs> She's like yeah. the best at Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, she, is, she is the greatest. Um, cool. Charles, what's, what's your next one? Um, I often cite this as my favorite film um, instead of Jurassic Park. But, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but um, uh, if you've ever seen the David Byrne film, True Stories... Um, that's, mm, I love it so much. Um, okay. it's so good. It's so funny. It's so, I know Jonathan Demi was supposed to direct it and then they had like a big fight. And so David Byrne directed it anyway. Um, and I grew up in Texas and it's the most accurate portrait I've ever seen to what Texas truly is. Like it's the, <laughs> the camp aspect, uh-huh. you know, I think Texas gets told, it's West Virginia, but it's actually not like, I think the, like people think there's it, the toothlessness isn't so Texas. It's like Texas is a little bit more like flashy belt buckles and like big personas. And it kind of, it nails, it nails this weird DNA. That's well, the Texas. weird part of Texas is not something that people outside of Texas often yeah. are aware of. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it reminds me of my cousins and it reminds me of like, there's just so many incredible characters in it and the music is the music i love the talking heads i love david burn the music's incredible um and like there's there's a scene where like they go to (laughs) david burn goes to um the whole if you haven't seen it the whole premise of the movie is just that david burn visits a tiny town in texas that's celebrating its 200 uh, year anniversary virgil texas 
Virgil, Texas. <laughs> and he has dinner with the mayor. I think he's the mayor of the town. It's, um, what's his name? The incredible man who drowned. Um, uh, the monologist. Um, oh, oh, Spalding Gray. Spalding Gray. Yes. Um, he goes to Sp- Spalding Gray is like the mayor of this town. And he's also like the richest person because he owns this like uh, microchip factory. And his wife uh, had a big fashion show at the mall with all of her fashions that she created. And he's heard throughout the whole movie that um, the mayor and his wife don't talk anymore, but they're still married. And he's like, what does that mean? And then he goes to dinner with them and they just, they're completely fine. There's no tension. They just literally don't talk. <laughs> and it, like, he has to like talk through the children at the table, the whole scene. And it's, it's just like, it's just what's so, I really love how David Byrne is like, uh, his point of view is just, uh, I really, I'm just really charmed by it. Like he's such an alien in, in the right ways. Yeah, no, it's uh, charming and quirky are two very dangerous words. Um, but yeah, yeah, but it's so it's so much more existential. Yeah. Like his point of view is really existential, and it's really about what is. Like he's got a way of um, reinterpreting what's strange about people, and then like putting it out as just like that's a fact. Like people are factually this way, and you're yeah. like, it's true. We're all weird. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Um, yeah, no, I recently rewatched it for the first time since it came out, and and um, it was a completely different movie than the one I had seen in theaters. In some way, my reaction to it was just completely different. Um, I can't even also, describe it, but uh, it's just a very, very uh, yeah. Because I think I probably sort of you know lived lived more of a life in the interim and sort of come to realize that people really are strange and it's okay. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, I was, mm-hmm. was a kid when it came out, but um, yeah, no, interesting film. Um, Sarah Violet, what's uh, um, I'll go to Another Year by Mike Lee. Have have uh, you guys seen that movie? Not in a long time, but I yeah, love, but, you, but you did see it, yeah. Um, it, I feel like that's one of his least seen films, and I, I just I love I love it so much. Um, it has a pretty odd structure, um, it's you know, like kind of structured by the seasons um but you know the there it's all about this sort of deep loneliness and also i want to i brought it up after um waiting for guffman because i think he has a similar um Mm -hmm. uh way of working with you know actors well even more yeah yeah like i think he does a lot of rehearsals i've been Hold. Um, he does they a do a whole, whole. I mean, it's an incredibly extensive process. And yeah, which is like, there, part of me is like, I wish I would do that, but I don't think, I don't know. I just, I, part <laughs> of me is too lazy to do that. And also, like, I'm also too shy to really ask that of my actors. Like, <laughs> well, I feel like, I feel like every time there's one of his movies has, you know, because they're, they're always coming out, they're always fantastic. And every now and then one of them is a much bigger hit than people expect. And then mm-hmm. we get, like there's four or five of these things that that surface afterwards of other people trying to do what he does mm-hmm. and you know they don't they're not they're not subsidized the same way they don't have the time they don't quite have yeah. the patience or something and they're always i find them always kind of cringe inducing right it's with mike lee it's, just, it's like you gotta be you gotta know you have it's to go gotta, all the way in yeah yeah and that's it's clearly what his like he knows that's 
coming from his authentic soul, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I, it, it, it's just so, like the first scene is with this woman who doesn't come up again later. She has two scenes um, and she's so deeply depressed and she has insomnia and um, the, the whole movie, there's a real claustrophobia sitting with your, your pain and the pain of the um, certain characters that come in and out of the, of the film. Um, and, and, you know, she's, she's coming to ask basically for sleeping pills and they're trying to say, you know, like, okay, I'll give you a week of sleeping pills, but you've got to work on what the like actual problem is here. And it's not, it's insomnia isn't, it's because of something else that's going on and like, what is it? And they're trying to get out of her what her problem is and and at one point they ask her, you know, on a scale of one to 10, like how unhappy are you? Like how happy are you? And she says one and it's like, Oh, and you really feel that you feel that she's, that she's at a one and she's not crying. She's not like, she's just like, the fact is I'm at a one and whatever, you know? And, and then, um, and she's like, well, what would, help change that and she's just like a different life like she's just like not she's not willing to work on her life she's just like i just just give me the sleeping pills <laughs> and she doesn't and like every character that you meet that is sort of like this in it can't is incapable of really working on their life in a way it's like they're they're, they're just in this cycle of of they're stuck and it feels very true to how life kind of is. And it's set up against this more functional family that's doing, they're, they're a really simple, sweet, functional family that's doing quite well. And then, you know, there's this character, Mary, who you're more with. She's, she's kind of the, the, the anchor. And I guess, you know, it's hard to, the structure of this film is different. It's hard to really say who's the lead character, but I, you know, Mary is really more the, the soul, I guess, of this film and it really sticks with you. And she's really heartbreaking and she's also really funny. You know, he's, he's got such a good sense of humor, um, but when also, but also a sense of darkness that's so, so beautiful. Um, and you know, Mary is, I just, I feel in a lot of ways I've been her, but I've also been sort of the person who's like, oh, I'll invite Mary over, you know, like, but right. keeping keeping myself at a distance to her, but um, uh, she she's, you, you want, you want the best for Mary, but you also don't want her to engulf you and she's really struggling with loneliness and so desperately wants connection and she's so separated from from everyone and um you know it also sort of shows you this ex- exclusivity that families have um when you know someone 
I know it's like hard to say, it's like, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, <laughs> like she, it's also like she, she, she comes in and she's like, oh, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm really happy being single. You know, I, I'm, I love, I like having my independence and I, you know, like this is, this is really great. Like I'm, I, I like, I like my flat and, and I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna get a car. And it's all like structured around how she's gonna get this car and the, the, this car just like destroys her life <laughs> because she's doesn't, she, she, it makes her way too anxious and then she gets all these tickets and she can't figure out how to get to the house. Like, like she can't drive well, and she's not good at it. And then, and, and like, she claims that she, she uh, doesn't smoke and she smokes like a chimney. She's like, I don't really smoke, you know, I don't really smoke. And she's just full denial and she can't, she can't help herself. And she, but she's a sweetheart and, you know, just she's just devastating and 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 then she does she crosses a boundary with with her friends um uh tom and jerry are then how could i forget tom and jerry um <laughs> um who are you know this couple that she's hanging out with and by like hitting on their son and not hitting on but she's trying she's getting too close and she's like she she kind of thinks she's going to have a connection with their son. And then uh, at one point their son brings over a girlfriend and she just, she, there's this great scene where she's just so mad about it she, that she's just like being nasty when the, this girlfriend who's lovely, but kind of irritatingly like happy <laughs> comes over. I remember. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, and it's so, you know, the, these movies aren't high budget, but it's just so uncomfortable because they're just like close-ups and you get that feeling of when you're, when your heart is sort of broken and you just want to get out of the room and you're just, it's just like, and everyone's just like asking you questions. You're like, what? I, I, I just want to get out of the room, but she, and she's just being nasty and everyone's just like, God, she's just like, just get me out of this scene just get me out of the scene but you know and then and then you just feel like that that sort of breaks their connection and it's all very subtle and then the next time you they come together she's like oh can you you know that their their connection has been broken but nothing really bad has happened nothing 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 real has nothing like overly dramatic has happened other than there's just been a fracture in their relationship. It's just like right. these small fractures. And he's so good at finding those moments and then amplifying that discomfort. I think it's yeah. one of the things I love about him and probably why he's not for everyone too, because yeah. it can be, are you familiar? He did an early, uh, one of his TV things, um, uh, Abigail's party. Have you ever? No, I haven't seen that. Um, um, go. It's, it's fairly, I think it's streaming somewhere. Highly recommended if you like Mike Lee, especially recommended if you enjoy discomfort. Oh, yeah. um, it's, oh, I love it's just about one of the most uncomfortable cocktail parties you've ever been to in your life. And that's, yeah. that's all I'll tell you. I should do that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Half our listeners are like, what's wrong with that idiot? <laughs> 
Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Or she, call the police. Or call the police, like she should have, exactly. <laughs> What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Uh, Charles, what's next on your um, Bra- Terry Gilliam's Brazil? Um, uh, I love. Has no one ever brought up Brazil, I don't Joe? Think so. Maybe somebody has mentioned it one or once or twice, but nobody's ever gone into it. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's so amazing. I mean, not all of it ages that well, but that's part of the. That's part of what's great about it too. Um, I mean, I, I was like a big. Monty Python kid um, growing up. So, you know, the Terry Gill, I guess that was my entry point into Terry Gilliam. And then I just, I really want to make like my Brazil one day. That's my dream project is, uh, is something. I'll make it at Universal. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's dead now. So it's all right. Sid Schreiber's gone. <laughs> oh, I don't know. You got to tell me about this, this gossip. It's not gossip. He just, he, he, he was, uh, he made it for a studio studio didn't like it and uh it they made his life hell tried to kept trying to recut it mm-hmm. kept trying to have previews of different versions of it it's it's the standard nightmare when anybody tries to do something offbeat for a studio they they hire you because you work you do offbeat work then you give them what they said they wanted and they go well no that's we don't want that and and so he they really his life was just hell for quite a while there's a wonderful, if you watch, like it's on all the, you know, it's on the Criterion Blu-ray and everything else. It's a great documentary about the making of. And um, they also usually include what's called the Scheinberg cut. The head of Universal went back and did his own edit that I think, played on TV, Joe, is that right? Yeah, that's the TV version. Yeah, the TV version. It's worth watching just once just to see how radically somebody can fuck up a great movie. <laughs> wow. Oh, and how deeply he didn't understand it. Didn't understand mm-hmm. it too. But, but Gilliam, you know, after a few years, is very good natured about it and acknowledges because he waged a major PR war kind of mm-hmm. against them and sort of laughing all the way because he realized in some ways he had the edge being, you know, he was David versus Goliath. And, mm-hmm. and, and ultimately he wins because here you are talking about his cut of the film, which, you know, is the one everyone's seen. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean it's so good. I mean the 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 absurdity in it is just it just works really well, and I think that that kind of thing often doesn't work that well. And I think you know the the scene where they're having dinner, he's having dinner or lunch with the mom at like a garden plaza type of restaurant, and terrorists are bombing it, and they're just trying to hold the table down and continue the conversation. Or the, pla- I mean, obviously the plastic surgery scene. Um, there, there's a moment where he's uh, he walks past an ad for a safe 
uh, cruise boat. Um, and it's just like production design in the back. And it's like in this world, the, the only way you can vacation is by being on like an armed cruise ship. Right. It's like, <laughs> like trying to defend itself from terrorism at all costs. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess I just really, the stuff you absorb when you're young is always the stuff that makes the biggest impact on you. And I guess in that kind of classic, you know, the 1984 dystopia that you kind of just get the rite of passage reading that you get as a kid um, or in junior high just stuck with me as like the thing that still resonates the most. And, um, and also like, there's a, like my family, like paranoia is very much like a theme in my family. Like we're, we're like panic and paranoia and, um, (laughs) and, and outside forces are themes in, (laughs) in my family. And I think it just, the, I grew up with a lot of panic and paranoia and also, a lot of laughter and um like my I grew up with my dad is very into screwball and my dad is really his personality is really polar he's really really jolly and then he's extremely serious and it's there's a lot to unpack there but um I guess I was kind of raised with like a little bit of a dichotomy when it comes to my sensibility and I and I think the way that Brazil reinterprets um high stakes and uh life and death and then spits it out through a sort of screwball-y kind of lens it just really (laughs) speaks to me and it still it still speaks it's still what i love the most that's the thing that feels the most like life to me in a lot of ways um but yeah i mean i had there was a lot of like pink panther and it's a mad 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 world and um a lot of that screwball pop the champagne cork kind of comedy <laughs> that right. I grew up that I grew up with that's still very much like in the building blocks of my creativity. And um I yeah, I just want to make a 1984 thing-esque thing one day. <laughs> Too late. I just I just, I just watched it, Charles, for, oh, really? for this and I was so sad at the end. It's so what, I know. Had you not I seen really, it before? It's so it's I so upsetting. It oh wow. wow. And I was I was so like, oh good. And I was like, no <laughs> I know. Well, watch watch the ninety minute version. That's uh, that ends happily. Okay, that's good. A happy ending. It's Crazy. great. It's really trying. Oh my god. Oh my god. Wow. And manages it being happy a happy ending to be a much more depressing film. <laughs> uh, oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, I've been I've been I have not watched it in a long time. And and honestly, you may have chased me away from it now because what you said is is my I think my deep fear is that parts of it. Like too much of it doesn't age well, and I'm not even sure well, why. But there's just something that's about true. It that's movie. you can't you, movie movies are of, of their time. You know? Totally. Yeah. What's What's remarkable about that movie is as how much of it is still very very prescient and very accurate. No, yeah, yeah that stuff I think ages really well. The yeah. the the part that's like a little bit of a time capsule, which is what's also enchanting about it, is the like feathered flying, yeah, <laughs> or the yeah. samurai. There's like a samurai, yes. and it's like what's this? Yeah. What's this 80s Orientalism doing in my movie right now? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, the, the, you make a movie like that or you write 1984 or Brave New World, the point is not to predict the future. The point is to prevent that future. So mm. it's kind of depressing. To watch. Oh, that doesn't work. Yeah, no, I know. Going back to <laughs> none, these none of it's failed. None, none Watching of those network are, none now of those is, attempts worked. Yeah, the charm of network's prescience is long gone now. It just makes me sad. <laughs> 
we're post network. But yeah, yeah. So uh, it's fair violent. But we're post idiocracy. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I just I just rewatched that. Oh, never thought we'd get to that point. And it only took, you know, in the in the movie in idiocracy, they claim that it's like a hundred years from the future, you know, and it and it, it ended up being what five? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, a thousand years from now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's next? I don't even want to go on anymore. I'm just going. Uh, <laughs> I am. We're done. So We're done. I can't leave the house. <laughs> Sarah Violet, what's next? Um, I'll do. Oh, okay. Um, if I'm going <laughs> to cheer us up, then I guess I'll do a league of their own, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which I love. Um, but uh, Gary Marshall. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. Gary Marshall's so funny in that. Um, everyone's so funny. Um, what a great, what a great movie. Um, and uh. uh you know, I played softball, <laughs> so that was that was great for me. And then uh, the, I just think it has like the perfect. It has it has just the perfect like um, climax, like with that the the story of the sisters colliding, literally colliding. Um, yeah, and uh, the that sequence is perfect. Um, and the, with the music and the tension and and how you really want the Rockford Peaches to win, but it really just is perfect in how uh, uh, it's actually like you feel you feel so many a mix of emotions of being like let down, but also like it's so thrilling everything everything that leads up to that moment of Dottie dropping the ball and Kit being you know hoisted on the shoulders of her teammates and yeah the music and how it's um it all it all you know comes together there um it's just like that's like a craft of a screenplay really really doing a great job there <laughs> um and then also just the the movie being so fun from beginning to end the whole way and i i rewatched it and i was something i noticed this time i was like wow they're doing a very good job of making people being mean really funny about <laughs> this whole movie oh my God, like, john lovitz is is so mean dick. every word <laughs> that comes so... out of his mouth is rotten and Every, it's hilarious. Rosie Perret, I mean, not Rosie Perret, Rosie, Rosie O'Donnell is so mean. The whole, like, she, like she's just like mean to kids. He was like, what's the matter? You can't finish your games? <laughs> like, that's so mean. Like, why? Everyone is so mean to each other throughout well, that Tom movie. Hanks is just a sweetheart. <laughs> so mean. It's I, so, I hadn't seen it since it came out. We watched it again recently. And yeah, I, I was startled by that and pleasantly and just somehow it had i mean maybe i just hadn't had yeah, that reaction they, the first they, time they tried one like oh yeah that was nice didn't work. but and that time does that too movies that that come to you in a package that seems a little too frilly and trivial or something and then 20 years go by and it's still around and it's still effective and you go oh oh wait that was a real movie yeah you and know? they're like just making fun of how they're like 
Marla's hideous, which is not that ugly. <laughs> like, oh yeah, the, yeah, she that girl, yes, she's amazing. Um, and I, just, I love the I love Gina Davis and uh, uh, Lori Petty. Just my cat is named after Dottie Dottie Hinson. <laughs> Fantastic. The um, yeah, the new Blu-ray has uh, episodes of the TV show that they did, which. Charles, what's your did, next one? They're doing one now, but I didn't know. Oh, they are did. they doing one now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if. Oh. Yeah. It's definitely the first mm-hmm. time anybody's mentioned that picture. Not, not as good as the film, but yeah, it's yeah, And then it's sort of moving. And then at the end, when they all have that reunion. And, oh, yeah. And. Uh, um, oh, it's a real tearjerker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it took me about five minutes to realize that it's definitely not Gina Davis, but it's Gina Davis's voice. His voice, yes. Which yes. which works beautifully. That's yes. you know sunk up to the older actress who looks so much like her. It's, yeah, you're like it's got to be makeup. Uh, yeah, no, delightful. And Madonna, who I don't normally go for in the pictures, no. although I asked um, desperately seeking Susan, she's great. Yes, but uh, yeah, yeah, ah, good stuff. Um, Charles, you're up. Yeah, um, it's about Schmidt. Um, I really loved it. Yep. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's so many incredible Alexander Payne movies. Um, so, you know, I think, I guess if I watched them all today, it might not be my favorite, but I think it was, I watched it at a time, I think it came out when I was in high school. And that was kind of like, you know, it, it was sort of like the first movie with a, a, a sort of a more serious comedic tone that really seized me. And um, it, it just, I still, I just rewatched it a couple of years ago and it's, it's still, I think it's still wonderful. <laughs> um, and uh, there's just so many good Alexander Payne type characters. And the thing that I love so much about it is how the, the characters are so American and that they like don't really know themselves at all. Um, but they're all, they all have like strange behaviors and they, uh, there's something just really sad about um, Schmidt and how he reminds me of my grandfather. There's something generational about it where there's, there's just so much, uh, he's so unrealized and I like that he goes on this big quest to find you know, to, to intervene in his daughter's wedding. And then he just kind of doesn't. And, um, and there's a scene where he like visits a pioneers museum on the way. And he has this kind of spiritual experience about the pioneers and how they risk their lives for something that they, for a dream. And he feels a kinship to that. And he feels that it's kind of, he's a part of their legacy by, you know, probably maybe being uh, a, a descendant of pioneers. And, um, but at the same time that he's done like nothing with his life. And the, the, the thing that's so beautiful about the movie is how full and deep small experiences can be and how small his life was, but how much is under the surface for him as a person. And then the ending is incredible because, I mean, not to ruin it if you haven't seen it or I don't know, but he's, um, 
writing to a like a relief kid in Africa that he's adopted through like yes. calling to into like a TV thing. And he's telling the kid throughout the whole movie, like he's just bitching about his wife. He's bitching about his job. It's like the most unrelatable things that are so inappropriate to send a child in need. <laughs> and and um, you never hear back from the kid ever. It's just kind of like a, narr- a narration device throughout right. the whole movie. And then he finally comes back. His wife dies in the beginning of the movie. He goes on a big road trip. And then when he comes back at the end of the movie, um, he sees how much of a mess his place is. And he's narrating about how statistically uh, men who, uh, like, who lose their wives don't live longer than 10 years after them. And he's kind of just like accepting that he's probably going to die soon. And he finds some old mail and he opens it and it's a return letter from the nun who takes care of uh, this boy in Dugu. Um, and she just says back like, uh, Ndugu thanks you for your letters. Um, he's eight. He likes <laughs> mango. He likes uh, to play. Um, he, with your donation, he bought crayons and he made you this drawing. It's you and it's him. And the final shot is just Jack Nicholson, like, sobbing. It's so good. It's so good. It's just, like, the best fucking ending to, like, a movie ever. I love it so much. It's, like, it just really makes the whole movie come together in this way where it's just a really emotional movie. I just really love it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's good. It's definitely one of the ones of his that I, I really, really, really love. Um, but, yeah, Nicholson's so good. Yeah, so it's good. his last good movie, I guess. Is it really? Is that the? I guess it's gotta so. be. Yeah. What did he do afterwards? I can't even. I can't even think. Um, I don't know. But yeah, he sort of he sort of dropped out of the, of the business lately. Um, I saw some pictures of him. He recently was on a small yacht putting sunblock on, and um, he looks like a baby. Like he can't put it on his body on his oh, no. face and. And it's like the most Jack Nicholson id <laughs> pictures you've ever seen. <laughs> it's like he became full id in this in this phase of his life. He has, he has not a hard life, but he has lived hard. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah Violet, what's? Uh, um, I'll do. You please give. Um, oh. Nicole Hollister. Yeah. yeah. Um, I really liked this movie. I saw it in theaters with two people who did not like it. <laughs> Ah, that's always fun. <laughs> and I think especially like the last scene really turns people off on it, <laughs> which is because the whole movie, like uh, um, Catherine Keener's character has this like guilt complex of feeling like she needs to sort of, she has a savior complex and, you know, wants to, give back um and feels like she's not feels feels uncomfortable with her job and that you know she's she's also kind of waiting for her neighbor her elderly neighbor to die because she's purchased her built her um her apartment and so she's just like waiting for her to die um (laughs) so that she can have her apartment and you know, build her, build a closet, build a walk-in closet, <laughs> among other things. Um, and uh, she's also like her job is basically being a vulture and 
buys the furniture off of people whose family have has died and and some resells it for her store and she just has like this guilt complex about that and I feel like that kind of plays into themes that we write about in search party and there's there's you know things about privilege that I I found really interesting in 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 that and um, about placing val value, monetary value on that comes up in this movie that I found really interesting. And her daughter is really like resentful of her because she really wants this pair of, she wants a new pair of jeans. And her mom's like, I'm not paying for like a, fa like a fancy pair of jeans for you. Like you need to buy like a reasonable pair of jeans. And meanwhile, she's like, uh, anytime she sees a homeless person, she gives them $20 or like a, too much quote unquote, too much money on the street. Like a, according to her daughter, like that, that you should, should give a, a homeless person. Um, and, and the last scene of the movie, uh, she's, you know, they, they're fighting throughout the movie. And then the last scene, she like sort of gets over herself and buys her daughter, like, a pair of $375 jeans and like they're connecting. <laughs> and I think a lot of people take issue with that. They're like, that's the moral of the story. And I'm like, I, I don't think that's really like, <laughs> I, I think we can forgive that. I think, I, I think that um, the point was more about, you know, the value of, there's more to the, value of of material objects because there's you know there's other things at play in in this movie as well um because she also ends up finding out that someone is that this other furniture st store owner is doing the same thing to her basically is like buying her furniture and selling it for more in his store and so it's like I th there's some there's something that I'm not quite sure she's nailed down what exactly she's saying about money and the value of things, but there's like a, the guilt and there's something about the guilt and connection and separation that that I just found interesting that she was investigating in this movie. Um, no. but that final scene really upset the people I was <laughs> seeing the movie with. <laughs> and I was like, well, I think it's interesting that we're talking about it at least. <laughs> yeah, no, um, for sure. And she's, uh, I keep using, I keep using terrible words to describe films, but yeah, interesting is a word that comes up with her films a lot for me in, in a good way, because she's, she's diving into kind of characters that, um, um, you don't often quite to the degree that she does. And, uh, uh, with an attempt to kind of understand and and find humanity in them and 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 create empathy with people that you might at first glance kind of want to dismiss. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, no, she's fantastic. I was just and she's apparently written the new Ridley Scott Ben Affleck oh. um, Matt Damon period action movie which what um, <laughs> the last duel what <laughs> so that's uh yeah which just automatically makes it uh a notch more interesting that i will go see that usually it is uh, sadly uh my i believe it's um uh, on hold they got about halfway through and then uh, i don't know something something happened this year that kind of screwed everybody oh 
Um, Damn it. They're probably, unless they're doing it over Zoom now. But um, <laughs> Charles, we have one more from you? Um, you have two more, but if you oh, need to more. cut it short, okay. that's okay. Yeah, we're fine. Um, yeah, Duck Soup. The Duck Soup. You know, directed by Leo McCary, but I think of it as directed by the Marx Brothers. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> when I looked at the director for this, I was like, and I was like, directed by the Marx Brothers? Oh, no, of course not. <laughs> um, I mean, I was a big Marx Brothers kid, and I still am. I'm just visiting um, Charlie Chaplin movies for the first time. I had only seen The Gold Rush, and um, I, know, I know, I know, I know. Wow, wow. I know, but it's kind of it's great to... Uh, Joy awaits. I know. I, I'm, I'm happy I hadn't seen them because the, I've seen... I've, Probably, if there's Mars Brothers movies I haven't seen, they have to just be like one or two and like that weren't transferred or something. Well, yeah. I don't know. They were only the like Kino Lober, like a weird releasing. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, I, I watched all of them and I, they're all my favorite. Like, I loved all of them. I just say Duck Soup is my favorite because that's the one that has the most kind of politically minded satire in it. And, um, I mean, it kind of bleeds into my uh, Brazil love. Like, I really love that. Oh, sure. Yeah. The Marx, like the Fridonia as a, the Hail Fridonia, (laughs) like, anthem is so good. And the war moment. And there's a lot of Dr. Strange love in it, too. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of Duck Soup and Dr. Strange love. And yeah, I just, I really, I love the Marx Brothers and I love, I love comedy from, like, I love, I've, saw the Buster Keaton movies too but there was something about there's something I love about vaudeville there's something I love about like the really the really big nuts and bolts of comedy with a capital C that still to this day it's like that's its own language and it's timeless and so much of of their comedy is so timeless and it's still like like Groucho's lines are just as sharp and um and there's just something about entering there's something interesting like sometimes when you watch older films like the sensibility can be a little bit alienating i think for a lot of people because it's like well you don't really you can't access that point of view of that time exactly in the same ways but when not with them what's that not with them though yeah exactly like the, the, yeah. the comedy i think transcends time in this yeah. way where you start to like see it's interesting how much America was like Europe then too. Like that was, that's been my takeaway from watching all these Charlie Chaplin movies is like, they, they feel like they're set in Europe. They feel like, and so do the Marx brothers. It's like, and I, th- I think a lot, I was really close to my grandmother and she had a really wild imagination and there's just something in the ether of that era that is really, I get jealous that I can't be there for those for that sensibility um and i love um her name what was her name like margaret dumas i can't remember her name dumont dumont Dumont. yeah i mean the fact that she was like such a straight actor who uh like didn't really get it and that she kind of i've i've read that she like resisted being in the marx brothers films and didn't ever they went over her heads and they felt inappropriate to her and she just was like i don't get the joke and that and that groucho is like that's what works is that you don't that's get why this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um i don't know what a good sport she kept coming back <laughs> I know. um they all tend to is that one of the ones i, mean, I, I know the film but there's the the, the part i always like 
there's a, there's that moment in several of them where there's the straight couple, you know, the, the, the young man and the young woman who are trying. Well, that to that, that was exacerbated when Irving Thalberg took over, and yep. uh, then they then then the, the the prevailing thought was that comedy works better if it's interrupted <laughs> by singing and like romance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, for us kids, you know, we'd watch them, and and, and it's like you couldn't fast forward on you know in the fifties when you're watching this on TV. Yeah, you just had to sit and wait to get the love interest over so you could get more right. more comedy. Whereas the early Paramounts, like Duck Soup, don't have a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I was just saying, I couldn't remember. Duck Soup doesn't have who's who's there is not no a and horse feathers and that, mm-hmm. those those things. They're, they're yeah. more pure Marx Marxian. But as soon yeah. as they went to MGM, it was like it was the end. Is coconuts? Um... Coconuts is really early. It's like mm-hmm. the first because I don't remember any of that stuff. I remember coconuts and a night at the opera being my favorites. Um, but and duck soup, yeah, great, great films. It's funny because most things when you're a kid, you're like, you know, it's about a romance. You're like, yuck, and then you grow up, and you're like, oh, it's actually pretty good. But with Marshall yeah, Brothers, but but the romances, the romances in these movies are so in, they're so insipid. They're I mean, so it's awful. Just, they're not, they're not interesting even to the actors. <laughs> yeah, there is something I like about the, there is something in a weird, in an otherworldly way that I like about whenever in older films, there would be that like song, whenever like the ingenue also was like, you know, sing at the cantina or whatever. And then right. you'd like sit there and you'd like watch like all six minutes of the song. There is something <laughs> I like about it because it's so weird. It's just like, I, we would never ever do that. <laughs> and, and and there's just something like, wow, okay. But like they're doing it. And like, you know, like waiters pass by. <laughs> it just takes right. so long. They had more patience. <laughs> you had no other option. Yes. Sarah Violet. Okay. I'll do Terminator 2. Terminator Whoa. Terminator 2 uh, is... By the way, perfect follow-up to Nicole Hollow Center. I find it's kind of obvious. I know, I know. Kind of obvious, <laughs> but we'll forgive you. <laughs> Terminator 2, two is, pro- is one of my favorite movies. As opposed to one. Yes. Uh, as opposed to one. Um, I think Terminator 2 is one of my favorite movies. It's, I think... I mean, I... It's one of the most, um, particularly for action films, I think masterful storytelling. You know, what drives me crazy about, you know, a lot of action movies is that you can't follow the action. This movie is so good at pacing it out and you really understand what the tension is. is what what all the rules are and what the tension is and what exactly is happening. The, sequ- the sequences are perfectly laid out and everything looks beautiful and and also looks really, you know, quote unquote cool. You know, it look it looks and feels very um, like elevated and and Great. And, you know, if you hadn't, if you hadn't seen the trailer to the movie, it's so great. The reveal that Arnold is the good Terminator. So that is just such a brilliant structure of it. Um, and one of my favorite things about it is the, se- the sequence when Sarah is, um, Sarah Connor is escaping the, is, is trying to escape the mental mm-hmm. institution. And she's, you know, it's 
she's being very smart. You, you step by step, she's you know, you know, takes the paper clip, yeah. which is such a like trope, but like to take, take the paper clip out of her mouth that she like saved to unlock. She, you know, every step happens. She unlocks the thing. She's she, what's so she's so smart and strong and. Well, she's not and, scrambling. She's she's um, clearly. Worked it out every detail and Work, just waiting for the every yeah. detail. Right. And um and and she's so good about it and she, you know, like she's strong and like that whole and and she's outsmarted everyone there and she's out and she's you know, you know, out physically out, you know, out punched them out or whatever it is um and then the second she sees arnold she completely falls apart because of how frightened she is of him and and she's like that like she melts in that slow motion shot of her like you know she's been such a badass throughout that whole sequence and then and then she just loses it and then, and then she's like no <laughs> and like running away and then watching when when fine and then it's so satisfying seeing the like awful wards you know see what the terminators do their terminator thing and see like you see you should have listened to her you know <laughs> she was she wasn't crazy um uh i just it's so great and then and then the car chases i hate car chases usually like i don't find them interesting i'm like i don't give a excuse me like I don't care about anything unless I know what's happening in this movie I understand exactly what's happening and it's cool to look at but but I understand you know and I'm nervous about this Terminator catching up with this kid and what I'm watching is cool and then um the way the you know um action is progressing each progression um you know i'm the way it's filmed is it's not just a bunch of stuff happening on screen it's it's a step-by-step thing and and it's really creative too every every part of it and then the casting is so brilliant with the way that the Terminators run the way, like everything is so beautiful about it. Um, and then like love James Cameron, the way he's like that. And that ending again, that ending is so, it's so heartbreaking and good. You know, like I've like, I know now why you cry, but it's something I cannot do. And, and like, he's, it's, it's like almost too much, but at the same, like he, he, that the thumbs up at the end like it's like uh he's gotta he's gotta have (laughs) his little piece of james cameron schmaltz in there but um but it's it's so it needs to happen that he has to self like he can't self-destruct that's a perfect way to have have to end that movie that's why we've been talking about watching both of them back to back sometime in, in quarantine. We'll be doing it soon. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I share your affection for it, but I'm going to ruin it for you now. Uh-oh. 
it, it always made me crazy. Oh, Dyson. So the first time I really looked, why isn't it Michael Bean? Oh. Why is it Michael Bean the bad? He could be anything. Imagine, imagine if, if the trauma of like having to run to Arnold Schwarzenegger from this thing is that. Imagine how much more traumatic it right. is. If the thing that's trying to kill them looks like the father of her child and the man she loves. Right. Like, why didn't he? It's almost like it's it just one of those things. It has to be the, the movie story. <laughs> it's a good question. Hmm. It should have been him. But yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful, uh, and it is. It was, it was like the most expensive movie ever made in the history of the world when it came out. It was like it was 200 million or something, Joe, when in, uh, and, 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 you know, the original was quite uh, yeah. low budget. Yeah, it was very, very low budget. And I remember seeing the original in a in a dinky theater in Philadelphia, sort of um, back in the day. You would like because all of Arnold Schwarzenegger's films were sort of dopey and fun, and this one's going to be pretty stupid. And then you see Terminator, and you can't believe what you have just yeah. seen. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. But uh, and the, oh, and the huge. score, Ugh. yeah, beautiful. And then and then I love that last that last you know like if what what does she say like if a machine can learn to like understand the meaning of human, like the, the value of humanity, maybe so can we. It's like, so it's so devastating. It's so good. Yeah, probably too late. I know. Um, <laughs> Charles, all right. Charles, is this your, la this is your last one? Uh-oh, did we lose him? Did he, is he frozen? He's frozen. Huh. Oh, he's gone. Now he's gone. <laughs> he was frozen he's and now he's gone. He's frozen. Well, um, gee, Sarah Violet, what's your last one? Um, my last one is, I'm texting Charles, but um, hopefully he'll jump back in. Hopefully we'll get him back. Um, my last one is Love Potion number nine. Um, <laughs> wow. Going, going out Has with anyone a, done with Love Potion number nine? I yeah that that one comes up every no. week. I mean, we're we're so friggin' tired. In of a word, no. Nine. It's, um, um, I'm trying. Is that the one? That's with Sandra Bullock and Tate Donovan. Okay. Um, it like bombed, but it I saw it because it like was always on TV, and I was like I was like why did no one like this movie? <laughs> um, and I think. I don't know. I, I think it's really good. Um, the colors are not all that exciting. Anyway, it's, it's <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's, the colors. Is... it's the colors. <laughs> I think it's Sandra Bullock's best work. Um, wow. She, okay. she really, okay. it's, it's the best. Um, um, uh, I think they, they don't do a makeover sequence, but it's the best like uh you know going from like you know pre pre pretty girl to pretty like she goes from being really not attractive they do such a good job of going from not cute to gorgeous and mm -hmm. from any movie i've ever seen and they do it by like having having they give her like fake bad teeth and a little bit of a stash and really good, bad, frizzy hair and like horrible outfits. Um, and they do the same with Tate. Like Tate doesn't look great at the beginning and then he looks great at the end. Um, 
And I just think it's like a really great fun structure of a movie. Um, and what I really like about the movie is like, it does really fun sort of cheesy, like um, uh, direct, directorial um, uh, camera stuff. Like when they take, have you, have you seen it? I, you haven't. Seen I've seen it. Joe, seen it. I, seen it. I've seen it. It's it's, it's very it's cute. cute. It's like it's very cute. And should we we should mention directed by a very very great screenwriter yeah. Dale Warner, who also wrote it. Yeah. Um, it's like so. What basically what happened? What happens is um, Tate Donovan goes to a fortune teller and she gives him love potion number eight <laughs> twist. Um, oh, I have seen yeah. this. She gives Tate Donovan love potion number eight, and Tate Donovan and Sandra Bullock um, work as bi like biochemists. And um, they, this, he's, she's, and it, it's Anne Bancroft who's the fortune teller, and she's great. And she's like looking at his palm, and she's like, You're awful with women. <laughs> and he's like, No, I think I'd do okay. And he's a big nerd, and she's, and it's very funny, and she takes a, like Polaroid of his palm. He's just like, I have to tell my sister about this. <laughs> like, I have to show my sister. This is awful. I'm going to give, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you this, this love potion. When you take this love potion, dilute it because it's very strong. Like what women will find you irresistible. And so they do the, the, the potion on the, these monkeys. And um, it, it in fact is true. And then of course, they have this potion to, they're, they can only do, they're like, it would be irresponsible for us to not use it on people, let's do it on ourselves. And then they go up forth and into the world and do it on themselves. And um, it's like, it's crazy. There's like a scene where, where it's just like, why are they not like immediately being like, I've got to use this like now. <laughs> like it's like, like I would be like so quick, quick to use it. But um, what I love about the direction is like how like cheesy little things that like the first time uh, Sandra Bullock uses it is to get out of a parking ticket, which like, of course, before she used it in her really shitty car, she got a parking ticket and she like is trying to get out of her parking ticket before. Again, I really do think this is Sandra Bullock's best work. Um, she's so good be, like before like she's very when she's in nerdy mode she's like really good and she's trying to get out she's like do you think I could get out with like just a warning and the, the officer like won't give her the time of day and then she like uses the banaka spray and like there's a close-up of, of the pen like like mid-sentence and it, the way it works is like as soon as you speak the person like immediately is like obsessed with you um and, and like it uses beautiful like twinkly music like it's like wow you know it's like all very um um fun cheesy stuff and like the pen starts starts moving slower and then like the the police officer like suddenly so his face softens and like has this beautiful smile on his face and he's like you know what why don't we forget this ticket you know um and the, and then like the movie is full of like you know at first the car window is is rolling up when when like 
Kate Donovan's like looking over at a woman. And then as soon as he talks, the car window stops rolling up and then rolls down. And like the, the blinker is, was, was going the other direction and then changes to go the direction he's going it. Like it's full of like directorial choices like that, that I, I like to clock to be like, oh, that's a fun way to tell the story with the, with the, um, with the camera, but in cheesy ways that I, that I really like. And then, um, like I said, it's just like very, it's just like really cute and fun. And I, and I'm like, no one's seen this movie. And I think, I think it's, 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 it's under, underwatched. Um, well, then, hopefully it will find new fans now. Yeah. Well, it's, it used to be on TV incessantly. Yeah, it was on TV a lot, but no, but still no one seemed to watch it. But then Love Potion number nine is comes in later when when Tate Donovan and uh uh Diane her Sandra Bullock's character's name is Diane, and there's some very high stakes to Love Potion number nine, which I won't ruin. Fantastic. But <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, it is it is on Prime, so folks can check it out because that's probably the um at least I, I don't know if Charles has one more, but so far I would say the most obscure thing. <laughs> okay, now Charles, I notice um, I, I mean, maybe I'm trying to just stir up shit with your partner here, but uh, you did go first, and then uh, weirdly your Zoom went out, so wow, you get to go out last too. So you guys can, can fight about this at the end. But what's what's your final yeah. film for us, Charles? Uh, my final film is The Birdcage. I just uh, love it. Uh, it's it's um i think it's just like the movie i could watch the most in life without feeling it uh it's just so easy to watch and it's so good at the same time um and i mean it's the writing it's the perform it's the directing it's the whole thing my only complaint about the movie is that i think the third act could be like 20 minutes longer It, (laughs) it kind of like rushes it rushes out of itself like a little too fat for as much setup as there is and the setup is so enjoyable it does rush out of <laughs> it rushes to the end of the movie kind of quickly but um i think you know i don't know also being like a gay kid and like that being kind of like the first thing i saw and also it really or not the first but one of the first and like that really appealing to my senses and it was something that like my family all liked together like that was like somehow it was like okay i know i'm gay i know that this is some version of what i am (laughs) and then also like my family's down um and yeah and it's also like the one it's there's like a lot of uh disagreement about like straight actors playing gay but like hank azaria and robin williams it's like no i'm I'm fine with it. I'd like to keep watching it. <laughs> I think they're both really good at it. And and um and also Robin Williams like brings so much soul to it. Um it's just a really soulful mo- it's such a it's such a uh it's such a feat because it's such a tightly written movie where everything is setting something up or establishing something about the characters so that when it's all put to the test you know all these things about them and you know their triggers and what pushes their buttons and what and you have expectations about them but at the same time it's really soulful and all of the characters just feel really full while also servicing uh plot and and in the writing and um christine bransky it's like every every character is so good 
there's so <laughs> many like fun ancillary and and diane weiss like my favorite movie line of all time is um <laughs> that i just i love that um what's his face oh my god why am i my brain isn't working today um gene hackman falls in love with nathan Lyons <laughs> with mother Col- with mother coleman and um <laughs> and diane weiss is getting more and more jealous and then <laughs> and then gene hackman like starts sticking up for her and is like i know what this is about he's a slick european tri- type just trying to take advantage of this classic american woman <laughs> and at the <laughs> and at the end diane weiss like gina hackman like wants to side with um with like diane weiss just feels like left out of the whole thing and she's like well somebody has to like me best <laughs> it's such a good <laughs> such a good line that yeah that only make it uh, definitely promising, mm-hmm. promising screenwriter promising yeah. screenwriter. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. well cool man guys um thank you so much for for joining us i'm a little disappointed i didn't get you to fight but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you guys back. should fight <laughs> fight all the time we, we argue all the time we argue all the time um uh joe uh joe uh, joe doesn't like mandy that's really all i knew i knew it i was gonna say we got through an entire episode without you mentioning mandy and now Actually, you found like a way he to doesn't do like it, it enough <laughs> um but the uh, movie mandy, yeah, the movie mandy yes. we <laughs> should be compensated um, for how often he mentions mandy uh, how do you know i'm not um <laughs> how do you think we keep the show going but uh no thank you guys and i i um oh my god i'm this is the world we live in i have not see i grew up as, as did Joe, different, different times, but we had television sets that you had to know what channel your favorite shows were on. It's a crazy mm. concept. It's you mm. turn it to six and you would get, you know, whatever. I just realized it, uh, HBO now, right? HBO so Max. Max. HBO Max, yes, yeah, Search Party. All I know is I just typed in Search Party and watched the third season all in one, but it was on HBO Max, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, the third season is out now. It's fantastic. Are you... Um, uh, are you chugging away on the uh, scripts for the next one? Are we? Well, we shot it before COVID, so oh, yeah, yeah. Season. So we're finishing up the edit now, and um, uh, there will be, you know, it'll it'll come out sooner than it, season three took a, f- a couple of years to come out. It won't be like that. Yeah. And and but there's but no idea when we ha- we know, but we can't say. Yeah. How about friends of the show? Do they get leaked to the... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very, very excited. I got to say, every season it ends and you go, you know two things for sure. One, it's not going to be at all the same show <laughs> it was last season. And two, you have no idea how they're going to get out of <laughs> yeah. the situation. And you keep escalating it. And now I'm at the point of like, where on earth is the next season going to end? Because like, anyway... Um, alien invasion is what I'm going to predict. Uh, but thank Thanks you very much for joining us. It's thank, thank you both. Thank you so Check much out the show. for it's having us. Big fan. And, uh, Big yeah, no, thrilled. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys. Bye. Bye. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of trailersfromhell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Stay safe out there, folks. Hi, I'm Neil. 
And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.